So with that being said, we're going to open the word of prayer. Father, we, we give you praise, Lord. We give you honor, Lord, and glory. Because you sent your son, Lord, to make us brand new people that can experience forgiveness and eternal life. And today, Lord, we celebrate you, who you are, Lord, and all that you've done and all that you're going to do. We thank you so much, Lord, that, that you've given us the light of your word to, to lead our minds and our hearts as we walk life. And we thank you that we get to do it together. Lord, we just, we reflect on your goodness, Lord, and, and hopefully today, Lord, in spite of what's going on in the circumstances of our life, that we're overwhelmed with such gratitude because we're loved and redeemed in Christ. So we bless you and we thank you for your word and we pray that you'd speak deep truths of it into our hearts today in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you want to turn to Matthew 16, I'm going to jump on what Dave was talking about last week. We'll be back in Genesis next week. Back to Genesis. <laughs> you know, today we're celebrating 19 years of the faithfulness of Almighty God what he can accomplish through his word in the lives of people. The coming to the understanding of greater depths of the knowledge of his love for each of us. And today, just reflecting, I wanted to look here at Matthew 16. This is what Jesus says in verse 18. <clears throat> he says, I say unto thee, thou art Peter, and upon this rock, I will build my church. Jesus is into building the church. And when he said that, I think there's three things that we need to notice about that. At that time, it was a word of prophecy because the church didn't exist. It will be a work that he personally does. And it will be under his ownership. That's what we see about the simple proclamation that I will build my church. What was spoken by him came to pass in Acts chapter 2. That was actually the birth of the church. The birth of the church didn't take place when he called his disciples on the, on the beach to follow him. It actually took place at an outpouring. It took a place at an outpouring of the Holy Ghost at Pentecost when he was poured out on the church in Acts chapter 2. But this wasn't just the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, but it was also the outpouring of a promise that God kept. Because we serve a God that keeps his promises. So the Holy Spirit was poured out on 120 believers at that time. And the first message that was preached by the church, over 3,000 people gave their lives to Jesus Christ and were baptized. And we get to chronicle its truths, the history of the church, in this book that we call the book of Acts. And in the Bible, we recognize that the book of Acts ends at chapter 28 of Acts 28. But the thing that we need to recognize as God's people is that that work continues today. The book of Acts really doesn't have an ending. It's got its beginning uh, bookmark put in place, or book end put in place, but the story is still being written, and it's written through your lives and my life. 
Because Jesus Christ is still building his church. We need to recognize for us today, for the believers of 2022, we are recipients of a baton. And we need to run this race and to prepare to pass it on if need be, if Jesus tarries. If you've ever been in a relay race, you know that you need to take what's passed to you and you need to run that race as faithfully as you can to pass it on to the next person. And when we look at the book of Acts and when we look at the early church and we look at the things that they prioritized and the way that they chose to live their life honoring God and worshiping Jesus Christ in spirit and truth with all of their heart, that's what's been passed on to us. And we have no right to change God's program. We are currently living the manifestations of Jesus' words, I will build my church. You see, when, when uh, a day like this comes to pass, you know, my mind races back 19 years ago. And we started our first church service in that little chapel that is now bathrooms and uh, Sunday school rooms. Uh, and we just taught the Word of God. And August 3rd, 2003 was our first Sunday service. John chapter 1 is what we were going through. Nervous as possibly can be. And I was just thinking about what God has done in 19 years of ministry. But, but even if I go back beyond August 3rd of 2003 to our first church service, and I can go back to 1998 and that summer when God called us, a group of us, to start a Christian coffee shop and to reach out to, to the lost kids and recognize that God began to build something there. He gave a lot of us, our, us, our wives, through that ministry, and families were birthed out of that that brought us to serve here at the church. So I go back to the first day of the church. I go back to the coffee shop, but then my mind goes back to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. And this is what the Word of God speaks into our life. According as He's chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. So when were you chosen? Before God said, let there be light. That's when we were chosen. You existed in the heart of God before the heavens and earth existed here. When he spoke to the prophet Jeremiah, he said, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee, and before you came forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet to the nations. One before his birth, before he actually physically existed. One of the things that I think we have to recognize, and I was really overwhelmed by this, that our lives in Christ and this ministry here, Old Paz Chapel, Gilead School of Discipleship, is a pre-existent work of the Almighty. This was something God had in mind before Genesis 1. And we get to live it. We get to live it out. This was in his heart to do this. And we get to experience this today. We're experiencing here together with him which was designed from eternity's past, the preordained plan of God, to unite us together as a family, not just as a group, not as a social structure, 
but to unite you and I here as a family of brothers and sisters in Christ with our God being the father of this family, that you and I can grow together in our relationship with Jesus Christ and with one another, that he would be glorified through us, his church, and then we end up in heaven together forever where there's no more tears, pain, sorrow, or any of that stuff, and we get to enjoy Christ in one another forever. We win. That's one of the things we need to recognize today if you're here and you're in Christ is that we win. He saved us. He's amongst us today. He's blessed us simply because he loves us. Simply because he loves us. Now he wants to use us in one another's lives and he wants to use us in this dark world to reach lost people. So as we think about it, Jesus said, I will build my church. What is the church? Because a lot of times our mind just goes to a building. But a church in the Greek, the word's ecclesia, and it literally means the called out ones, the ones that have been called out. Called out by what? By an invitation of Jesus Christ to come and follow him. An invitation to respond to the good news. That we can turn from our sins into his forgiveness and have a new life and a slate that's wiped clean. You only get that in Jesus. You don't get that anywhere else. You get that in Christ. In the ancient Greek language, the word church, it was a non-religious word for a group of people that were called together for a purpose. And boy, we have a purpose. We have a purpose. Our primary purpose is to know Jesus Christ and then to make him known. And to be used for his glory as we fulfill the purpose of why we're created and why we've been given this vapor that we call life. Turn to John 3 with me for a moment, if you will. So this truly is what the church is. <clears throat> it's a family comprised of people who experienced the second birth that Jesus spoke about in John 3. So John 3, you know, the religious leader comes, Nicodemus, right? He, he, he knows the Bible and he comes and Jesus, I know you're a good teacher and nobody else can do these miracles except God be with you. So he's just acknowledging what Christ is doing, and Jesus cuts right to his heart, and Jesus said unto him, I tell you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I'm here to tell you, man, that scripture rocked me as an unbeliever when I first heard it. Why? Because this identification of being born again is linked to seeing the kingdom of God. And without being born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. And that shook my heart to the core. And thank God I responded to Jesus Christ so that I know I'm on my way to heaven today. But except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. See, here's the thing today. If you came here today, we're so glad you're here today. But you didn't really come to church because you can't come to church. You have to be born into church. You have to be born into the family. You've come to a building that holds the church. But the church is comprised of people who have been born again of the Holy Spirit. So as he goes on to talk here, Nicodemus, thinking with his natural mind, says unto him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus said, truly, truly, I said, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom 
of God. So Jesus is talking about a natural birth that needs to be accompanied with a spiritual birth. So there needs to be a spiritual birth. Well, how do I get this spiritual birth? What's this whole born-again thing? You know, born-agains I've met in the past, man, they're freaks. I met a couple freaks too back in the day that were born again. You know, now I am one of those freaks. But, but, but anyhow, to be born again is, is, is really this conversion experience you have that when you're willing to surrender your life to Jesus Christ, could you come to an acknowledgement that there's sin that separates between you and God, and the only way to get rid of that sin in your life is to embrace the work that he did on the cross by shedding blood so that your sin could be gone forever. But we come to Christ on his terms, not our terms. We come to Christ because he's a savior that came into this world to die for sinners, and I'm guilty. So the moment that you choose, and it's got to be a choice of your will, because there's no looking back. There's no looking back. God offers you the invitation for salvation, to be born again of the Holy Spirit, to repent from your sins, which means to turn from them and to make, put your trust in Jesus Christ, what he did at the cross, and God raised him again the third day. And you embrace that gift, and you bring him into your heart as your own personal Lord and Savior. And there's a conversion that steps in, and the most miraculous thing takes place. It's kind of similar, but not quite what happened when God put Jesus in the womb of Mary. What happens now is divinity steps into humanity. Christ now begins to dwell, make his, how, his, his, his presence in your life by faith. He comes in. You know, and I know a lot of you know these things and you've heard these things before, but these are the basics of Christianity and the basics of church that we need to maintain. Because Paul said, you know, I just preach Christ crucified because the message of the gospel and the bloody cross for lost sinner changes people's lives. It transforms people. And people need transforming. Man, I'm telling you, 20-some years ago, I needed transforming. Not self-reformation, self but the Holy Spirit's transformation in our lives. And so as, as Jesus speaks this to this religious leader, we're told this by Paul, who experienced that, Saul of Tarsus killing Christians, to Paul the Apostle, who now wrote so many things that we have in our New Testament, that if any man's in Christ, he's a new creation, old things are passed away, and behold, all things or become new. How glad are we of that? How good is it to be free? How good is it to be forgiven? How good is it to know that God has buried the guilt of all that we've done and we stand before his throne holy and blameless because of the position that we've been given in Jesus Christ? Because in God's plan, Jesus was willing he was willing to step in to pay for every filthy thing that was ever done by anybody in this room here today. Because what God wanted to make sure about is that you don't spend eternity apart from him. And not only that, but that he would walk with you all the days of your life and you get to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Does that do something? Because it should. I got this anticipation. I got this expectation. 
You know, when I was a kid, I looked forward to Christmas. Now I'm like 52 years old, and I look forward to my fantasy football draft. But I'd much rather that Jesus Christ came back before my fantasy football draft. Because I'm ready to meet the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Are you? Here's the bottom line. This is what shook me. No spiritual birth, no heaven. Whoa. If that shakes you, good. Because it shook me 20-some years ago. The acknowledging, the repenting, the exercising of faith in Christ, the receiving of forgiveness, and making Christ our Lord and Savior. And the responders to this good news are now heaven citizens living on earth with allegiance to heaven's king, living out our God-given purpose. Because your life has a God-given purpose. And there's nothing more fulfilling than when you quit living for your purpose and you start living for your creator's purpose. And you start to fulfill why you were really created. That is so fulfilling, so satisfying in the soul. So we get to live here as God's people and we get to model kingdom citizenship here and now because we're ambassadors for Christ. And an ambassador is one that's sent forth to represent the country that it came from or the citizenship of the country that it's from. Our Bible tells us that in Christ we're citizens of heaven. So we're really here on a dual citizenship, but I'm a, I'm a member, I'm a kingdom citizen before I'm even an American citizen. And when we model kingdom citizenship, we see it in its character, its nature, its priorities, and it's life, and it represents the kingdom and the king from where you and I are, are now located. And, and we stick out as foreigners, like the way that light sticks out in the darkness. That's the way that we're supposed to stick out. When, if you've ever gone to a foreign country, you know that you stick out when you're amongst the citizens that are there. And the way that we stick out as God's people is we avoid sin. We avoid sinful activities. We, avo we avoid sinful attitudes at all costs because we want God to be honored through our life. But not only do we avoid those things, but we embrace a heart of love for Jesus Christ, for his people, and for the lost that we've been called to reach. So here's the bottom line. The church is not a social club. It's a transformation center. This isn't about, you know, I coming to church to make friends. I mean, it's good to have friends, but we're here to allow the Holy Spirit to work through the Word of God and to make us more like the Son of God. This is what God wants to do in you and in me. That's why it's so important that we're present. We're in the presence of God. We gather together like the book of Hebrews tells us, especially as the day approaches, so that we can have fellowship with one another, so we can assemble together, but we've got to be humble. We can't just read this and think it's for so-and-so. We read this for us. We've got to be teachable, and we've got to allow our hearts to remain tender in days that are very difficult to keep a tender heart. In the ministry here, our mandate from the Lord 
is to have his word at the epicenter of the ministry, his word. I don't know if you recognized it, but to a great degree, there's a famine in the land. Not a famine of bread and water. The shelves are full. But of the hearing of the word of the Lord. Amos prophesies that. And we're here, and we got to keep the word of God at the epicenter of the ministry because in so doing, we are keeping Jesus Christ at the epicenter of the ministry because Jesus Christ is the personification of this. He's the personification of the word of God. John chapter 1 verse 1 says, In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. The word was God. Verse 14 says, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. At the second coming of Jesus Christ, when you see him busting through the clouds, and we're following him, he's going to fix this mess. It says that his name was the word of God. So we emphasize. Hopefully we overemphasize the necessity to repeated exposure to God's truth. Not just here on Sunday mornings, but, but this is the mindset and the heart set that you're taking into your life, into your daily living, into your Mondays through Sundays, into your Januarys through Decembers. Because here's the reality. The exposure to God's truth does something in us. Same way you go out into the sun and you get exposed to the S-U-N sun, it leaves its imprint in you. Your skin changes, right? We get tans, we get burns, we get boils, whatever, you know. But that's the S-U-N. But you get exposed to the sun, the S-O-N. That also leaves its imprint on you, but not on the exterior, on the interior. And like the skin changes from the sun in the sky, the heart changes from the Son of God by having continual exposure. Continually exposing your heart to the Word of God. Preaching and teaching divine truth doesn't just teach us what God wants us to know, but it brings us into fellowship with the author himself. This is authored by the Holy Spirit, by the Godhead. It's God-breathed. It's inspired as the Holy Spirit moved upon people's hearts. But, but we read our Bibles to experience the author. Had a great question, right? We got the young adults going on up at the barn. It's a great time, you know, and uh, Missy has them do Q&A. So they fill out these little cards with questions on them. And one of the questions the other day was, um, you know, I, kinda, I grew up in a church, and uh, I do my devotions, but even in doing my devotions, you know, I just kind of experience this kind of disconnected from God, you know, even though know all these things, grew up doing the right things, but, but, but just this, this disconnection. And, and, it, and it's very easy to get into that rut or the routine of Christianity, right? We can really get routine in our faith. But, but I think for us as, as God's people is that there needs to be a, re, a rekindling of awareness of the presence of God. I mean, he's right here today. And we might not know that, but we need to know that because that's what the word declares. We don't feel it and we don't see it, but nevertheless, it's true because he says so. 
and then recognize that awareness that we're in the presence of God is that we take the things that he's speaking out of the word and we personalize it the way Paul the Apostle did, who loved me and gave himself for me, right? Not, not generalized, you know, we don't read it so we can preach a message to somebody else, but we read it to personalize it. All the promises of God in him are yea and amen. There's truths and promises that we get to experience that Jesus is speaking into our life when we're aware that this is for me. And I think for us today in the days that we're living in, just to follow up on some of the answers to this question that was given at the young adult study, is that we got to have a choice. We need to make a choice to remove distractions outwardly. The best thing that I can do in the morning is do my devotions without my phone. <laughs> what was that? Oh, ESPN. To do my devotions not in front of the TV. Maybe to roll out of bed before those kids get up. Talk about distractions. So we remove those distractions outwardly, but then we also we have to remove the divisions inwardly. We've got to be honest with ourselves because God already knows. Lord, this is standing in the way. There's something I've been holding on to or something that's been holding on to me and it's not right. And I know what your word says about it. And we engage him in personal worship. Turn to Acts 2 with me, if you will, real quick. Man, time's flying. We've got to get some of you wet. So remember, the Holy Spirit was working in operation with the Word of God through the servants of God, and that's when the church began, okay? So it was the Word of God proclaimed that began the building of the church. And in Acts 2, verse 42, it says this about the early church. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, okay? That's what they had for their Bibles. In fellowship, breaking of bread, and in prayers, so we see this here, and, and, and we look at the outcome. Look at verse 46. Look at the fruit of what that produced. And they continued daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved, not just adding to the building. Because there's a lot of people that get added to the building, but they don't get added to the church because they don't come through the gates of faith through Jesus Christ and his cross. There's no magical formula to the church, but this is what God puts in their hearts to do, and we're a part of the fruit of their faithfulness. Because the early church, enduring through persecution, hardship, and difficulties was willing to do church God's way, you and I are the recipients of the blessing of the faithfulness of a remnant that was willing to do things God's way. And when I look at this, this was the church out of the gates, beginning the, ra the race, leg one. And it needs to be the church 
that enters through the gates at the end in the arm of Jesus at the rapture of the church. From starting line to finish line, we want to finish the way they started. That's why it's so important that we keep church very simple in the fact that we do things the way that God wants us to do them. That we never get sick of hearing the wonderful word of God. The power of God's work through the word of God. The church at Thessalonica, when they received the word. So they're sitting in church, somebody's sharing the word of God with them, and they're receiving the word literally means that they're taking it to themselves. Even if no one else is, they're taking it in. They're responders to that. Their ground of their heart is very fertile, and that word is going on, and they became a very fruitful church because of their perspective. Paul says, when you heard of it, you received it not as the word of man, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually works in you that believe. So what does that mean? That means I have to have faith, and I have to be receptive in my heart to what God's word says. And then you know what happens? The word of God works in me. I don't know about you, but I want the Word of God working in me. And there's a couple things that I need to make sure of. Looking at the example of the, of, of the church at Thessalonica is that I'm taking it to myself. If no one else is listening, I want to be the one guy listening. It, it, it's almost like the woman who touched Jesus's, Jesus's uh, robe, you know. You know, everybody's touching you, but there was something different about her touch. Her touch was a touch of faith that released what she needed into her life. And that's what God wants to do with you and me as we receive the word of God. It works in our lives. Um, when we look at this, you know, we understand that the scriptures are the voice of God to the soul of man. So the scripture is the voice of God to the soul of man, and it's profitable, which means beneficial, advantageous for doctrine, conviction, correction, and instruction in righteousness. Its truth leaps off the pages into our hearts and does a work. All right, that's the design of it. This is a living word, living and active according to, it's energized according to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. And, and when we look at this, we recognize that, that it makes us, what Paul said, living epistles. All right? We are living epistles because we're letting this do its work in each one of our lives. So being a living epistle, you probably heard it said before that some, some of us, as we go forth and we represent Christ, we might be the only Bible some people read. And we want to make sure that we're representing our Lord well. You know, I got I got a couple of friends, one's in Rochester, Bailey Shrum, and another one's in Texas, Joe Paddock. And, and every now and then I'll get a, a text picture from them with the OPC shirt on, you know, and a hashtag representing. And that's the thing that you and I need to know is that as living epistles, it's so important that we let this get into here because when we go out there, hashtag, we're representing. We're representing the King of Kings and the kingdom of Almighty God. Go to Deuteronomy 5 with me. We've got to get moving here because I know you guys are all ready to picnic out. I know I am.
Now, I think there's uh, two groups of people that you find in a visible church. And we've got to be honest with ourselves and ask us, what, what kind of a, a believer am I of those two groups of people? There, there's one group that says these, Jesus said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. But there's another one that they're a doer of the word of God and not a hearer only. And, you know, as I've been doing my devotions, I've been in Deuteronomy, but, but look at the heart of God. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 29. This is what God says. Oh, that there were such a heart in them that they would fear me. The design of fearing God is to respect him that would lead us to obey him. That they would fear me and keep all my commandments always. All right, so that would be something. We'd be in walking in perpetual obedience that it might be well with them. That's God's design, that he wants it well with us. That he's given us these truths because he knows that in these truths as we walk the narrow road that leads to life, that's the path that the blessings are on. And he's trying to keep us from so much, so much self-inflicted pain that it might be well with them, and look at this, and with their children forever. That's what God wants. He wants things to be well with you and I. And that's why he uses his word and his Holy Spirit to guide us down the path of life. We're going to close out in Luke 6 if you want to go there. As many of us know this section of the scripture, I mean, maybe some of you can even quote it. I think it's really good to look at the heart of it. And in the heart of it, really, it's an emphasis on the lordship of Jesus Christ in my life. <clears throat> and for Jesus Christ to be Lord of my life, that means it's of necessity for me that I crucify personal lordship, that I'm not to live self ruled. That I'm under authority. I am not the authority. Jesus said in verse 47, Whosoever comes to me, hears my sayings, and he does them, I'll show you who he's like. He's like a man. He built a house, and he dig deep and laid the foundation on a rock. Okay, now what we're speaking about there is foundation. The unseen places, right? You are sitting on a building that I know the addition had 25 yards of concrete poured in its footer foundation. You can't see it, but trust me, it's under there and it's holding the structure up. And believe me, it's those unseen places that nobody else sees. It's those times alone with Jesus Christ, early in the morning, late at night, alone in your car, wherever it might be, on your lunch break, in prayer, in the word, cultivating a relationship with him that is building a foundation. Because what happens is the storms come. The flood arose, the stream beat upon the house and could not shake it for it was founded upon the rock. And that's what happened with the early church, right? The storms came. The storm of what? The storms of persecution, the storms of accusation, all these adverse things came at them. 
but it didn't take them out because of the foundation that they built on who Jesus Christ is and what Jesus Christ says. But he that hears and does not, it's like a man without a foundation built, built upon the earth and the stream beat on it and it fell and the ruin of that house was great. Our lives, our walks with Jesus, our marriages, our families, and our churches are designed to be on the rock, not on the rocks. And when we think about something on the rocks, we think of a boat that's crashed and destroyed upon a rocky shoreline. But when we look at this, it's so important for you and I to keep building on that foundation of who Jesus is and what Jesus says. The Bible tells us that we're to be rooted in Christ. Because you know what? That's what's going to hold us through any storm. You look at these trees that have made it through all these huge windstorms that we've had in our areas. They, they hold strong because of a root system. You know, the other day, I had these blueberry bushes out in, out in my garden. We extended the garden, and, and we brought in all these stones to, to cover it so we didn't have to weed it and all that stuff. And a couple of my blueberry bushes got mangled, man. They're gone. I'm, like, digging for treasure. Like, where'd my blueberry bushes go? I mean, they were just gone. Right? So I found one little stuff. There was nothing there, but I found the old stick of the blueberry. So I thought, oh, you know what? I'll just I'll move some rocks around and see. And now that blueberry plant's about that tall. Why? Because of its root system. Its root system. No matter what's going on, sometimes even when we're cut down to the ground, those roots will show themselves faithful. And guess what? There will be growth again in your life, no matter what you're facing today. Because of what Jesus Christ can do through your roots that will eventually produce great fruits. So I didn't get even halfway through what I had prepared, but um, I think it's very important for us to know that, that Jesus said he built his church. And the central part of us building or being a part of his building project, the church, is the word of God. And the word of God going into our hearts by the empowering of the Holy Spirit that I can't emphasize enough that it's of necessity for us to have effective ministries because we're all called into the ministry, not just pulpit ministry, life ministry in this world in which we live. So as the Word of God is sinking into the hearts of the people of God, the Holy Spirit wants to energize it to produce the love of God. And when the love of God is operating in the people of God, there's a testimony being built, Jesus told us, because we love one another that we belong to him. That's our witness to the world. And then he even gives you the ability through the power of the Holy Spirit, because the love of God should have brought in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, that we can love the unlovable. We can love our enemies. We can love our accusers. We can love our fault finders. Why? Because we're so overwhelmed with the love of God, none of that matters. All that matters is Jesus Christ and him receiving as much glory as he possibly can through this life that he shed blood for. So, Father, we thank you today that you built this church 
Thank you that there's only one church. And it's comprised of everybody born again of the Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, for anybody that may be here today and they haven't been born again. Jesus, they haven't come to understand their need for you. So you're not, you didn't come to give someone a religion, but a relationship with, a re, with your resurrected self. That you'd speak to that heart. Lord, today we get to rejoice in what you've done in lives from the youngest to the oldest that's getting baptized today. And I pray, Father, for an outpouring of your Holy Spirit on our time together, that it would be anointed from heaven, that it would produce fruit here on earth, that you would be blessed, that you would be pleased, that this day would bring you joy, and that there would be such an overflow of love into one another's lives that we would be built up for the life that you've called us to. Thank you for your love and your faithfulness, Lord. We bless you. Holy Spirit, do a new work in each one of our lives. Oh, how we need you more than we ever have. Lord, your word to us is to cleave to you because you are our life. Help us to cleave to you, Lord, with all that we are, all that we have. And thank you, Lord, even in our cleaving of you, that you've got us right in the palm of your hand. We love you, Lord, but we thank you that you first loved us. In Jesus' name, amen. You can stand.